Well, this week we're continuing in our study of the book of Acts, and we're continuing in Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. Uh, and so if you were with us last week, we uh, were learning about Philip. Philip was one of the Hellenistic Jews chosen uh, to serve uh, the Hellenistic uh, Jewish believers. Uh, in uh, Acts chapter 6, we read about Philip. He was full of the Spirit and uh, walking with the Lord, and God called him, as we see here in Acts chapter 8, uh, to go to the Samaritans. And we said last time that going to the Samaritans was something very radical. That, uh, you know, the Samaritans and the Jerusalem Jews, as we'll say, the Judeans, really did not uh, uh, get along. The Samaritans were viewed as outsiders. Uh, their holy place was Mount Gerizim uh, and the city of Samaria uh, and what is now Shechem, or what was a Shechem uh, and what was the city of Samaria uh, and is now uh, in modern times the Arab city of uh, Nablus uh, in the West Bank. Uh, and this was a, a radical thing for Philip to take the message to the Samaritans. And what did we read in the first half of chapter 8? That the Samaritans were receiving the word. Philip was doing miracles. Uh, and uh, uh, people were coming to faith in the Messiah. They saw that these miracles came with authority in the name of Yeshua the Messiah. And people responded. They saw the miracles, but they responded to the message. And then in the preaching of the gospel to the Samaritans, we read about a particular man, Simon Magus, who was a miracle worker. Uh, and he was uh, a man who was uh, really uh, sought the fame and fortune, one might say, of, and the attention of being a miracle worker. And people knew who he was. He was very popular and he was famous. And he saw what Philip was doing, and, and he thinks that's really something. Those miracles are really something, and he wants a piece of that pie. So he basically uh, comes to, as the text says, believe, and, and he is immersed. Uh, and then he sees the apostles come to lay hands on the people to receive the Holy Spirit. We talked about that last week. Uh, and he can't get over it, and he wants a piece of the action. So he says, I'll pay you for that. I'll pay you if I can have that kind of experience and I can lay hands on people. And Peter basically tells him, as we might say, where to head in. Uh, Peter tells him that, uh, you know, you're on your way to destructions. You and you're on your way to this destruction, you and your miracles. And basically he says, you pray and you repent. Uh, and, uh, and then Simon Magus says, no, you pray for me. I don't want any, anything bad to happen to me. You pray for me. And so we made the point last week that this was beyond him. To really embrace Yeshua was beyond him. He liked the sizzle. He liked the miracles, you know. But he couldn't give his whole heart to the Lord. And we likened him to the rich young ruler in Matthew chapter 19, who did all of the commandments, but couldn't really give his whole heart to the Lord. He was a wealthy man. Uh, and Yeshua knew it, and he wanted to hang on to his own inheritance, his own wealth. And Yeshua said, I know that's what you're hanging on to. I want that too. And he says, I can't do it. And he went away grieved. And we said that, well, the, uh, Simon Magus goes away grieved. He doesn't really get what he wants because he can't give his whole heart to the Lord. And it really takes giving one's whole heart to the Lord. So Luke is bringing out here in Acts chapter 8, that the gospel is moving out from Jerusalem now to Samaria. Uh, and what it means to believe is not just give assent, not just like what's going on and becoming part of it, but really embracing Yeshua, giving one's whole heart to the Lord. Now, what uh, Luke does here in Acts chapter 8, he gives us a contrast to Simon Magus. And Philip is not quite done yet uh, with uh, what we're going to read uh, about him. So in the book of Acts, in the 8th chapter, we read here, uh, beginning uh, in verse 25. This is really the bridge from the bringing the gospel to the Samaritans 
to now moving forward to the next story. So we read in Acts chapter 8 in verse 25, And so when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem. This is Peter and John after they had come to Samaria to lay their hands on the people. They were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. But now in verse 26 we read, But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. Now, this is very interesting. Uh, Philip was really on his way back to Jerusalem. You know, he had uh, brought the gospel to Samaria. He had this experience with Simon Magus. But now we read the, an angel of the Lord spoke to him. So the first thing we see is that Philip was very sensitive to spiritual di direction. He was really sensitive to listening to what the Lord had for him to do. And so it says here, an angel of the Lord says to him, Philip, I want you to go a different direction. I want you to go someplace that you were not expecting. And you know, sometimes in our own lives, we might have a plan. We might know where we're going. But God says, I have something else for you to do. Right? And so you need to listen to me. Have you ever had that experience where, uh, you know, for some reason, the Lord is telling you to go somewhere, to do something, to stay somewhere, because he has something for us. And we always need to be prepared for that. You know, in the book of James, we were just studying this this week in some of our Bible studies. In the book of James, uh, in the fourth chapter, at the end, we read, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we shall go to such and such a city, and spend a year there, and engage in business, and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance, as such boasting is evil. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. So he's saying here rhetorically to the people that he's writing to, He's saying, you know, you make all kinds of plans, but remember that it is God uh, uh, who actually uh, opens up and closes doors. You know, we make all kinds of plans to do all kinds of things. But while we do that, it's not wrong to make plans. It's not wrong to do that. But in making our plans, we always need to just have and be ready for God uh, to uh, change our course and to recognize, indeed, that it is coming uh, uh, from, from him. When James says, you make plans, but make sure that God wills it. In other words, what James is really saying is, every second of every day is part of your walk with God, no matter what it is that you're doing. And so, if plans change, recognize it's coming from God and don't see it as a diversion or a waste of time, but see whatever it is is coming from the Lord because everything, in a sense, is worship. Everything that we do is our uh, walk with the Lord. So it says in Proverbs 16, in verse 9, The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And that's why we make plans, but... God is the one who directs our steps. And then at the end of chapter 4, it says, Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. So in other words, if we are sensitive to the leading of the Lord and God impresses on our heart to do something, and we say, oh, but I just, I have other plans. I have to get to Jerusalem. I have to go here or I have to go there. But you feel a, a, a nagging a pull uh, uh, from your heart. Recognize that perhaps it is God and we need to follow that leading of the Lord. So it behooves us to always be sensitive uh, to the leading of the Lord. 
to always be walking with the Lord, to always know that he does speak to us in varieties of ways. There's not one way that he does that. You know, uh, I like to say one person's the Lord spoke to me is another person's God impressed it upon my heart. <laughs> you know, whatever terminology uh, we like to use is fine. But God does speak to us and we always need to be sensitive and we always need to, so to speak, show up. Uh, and hear what God is doing. And that is what Philip does. He had plans. He was going back to Jerusalem. But an angel of the Lord said, Arise and go south to the road that descends from Jericho to Gaza, the desert road. Now, not only does God take Philip to another place, but he's taking him like to the middle of nowhere. He's taking him on a road that is heading southwest southwest into the desert toward Gaza. Gaza is the last stopover, the last watering hole, so to speak, on the way into the deep Negev, on the way to Egypt and to North Africa. Uh, and, uh, and so this would not be a place where Philip would think, that, why would, this is not where I should be going. Why is God sending me here? And sometimes God does that. Uh, some people like to say, uh, God is full of surprises. You know, N.T. Wright wrote a book called uh, uh, Surprised by Hope. And we could just say surprised by God, <laughs> right? And that is often how God works. And sometimes the greatest moments come when we're least expecting them. Uh, and so he's headed on this desert road uh, down toward Gaza. Now, if this was today, taking a desert road down toward Gaza... Uh, that would be pretty dangerous. That would be something sort of unexpected, right? Gaza was a part of the uh, Philistine cities hugging the coast of the Mediterranean. It was the southernmost city. Uh, and, uh, uh, and today we know that Gaza is the center of um, the uh, Palestinian territory uh, on that, uh, you know, along the Mediterranean, south of Tel Aviv. Uh, and, you know, God brings people to uh, share the good news uh, with people that live in Gaza. If we take that to the 21st century, if you were in Israel and God said to you, you know, uh, Howard, uh, take the desert road down toward Gaza. I would probably think I ate something wrong. You know, why am I thinking that? But God does those kinds of things. And we'll see what he does here. So in verse 27, it says, And he arose and went, and behold, there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And now I'll just read the first part of verse 28. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot. So here, Philip is going into no man's land, okay? And what does he see? He sees a carriage, a chariot. We don't know if this was, you know, uh, an expensive chariot. Probably it was uh, because uh, this man was uh, someone who was like, uh, as we might say, the, uh, the secretary of finance or the finance minister uh, of uh, Ethiopia. Uh, and uh, when we read here, uh, who was a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, Candace was the name of the dynasty, the, the, the queen, the queen dynasty uh, called Candace. Uh, and Ethiopia, by the way, was not in the same place as Ethiopia today. It was Sudan. It's where the, the Sudan is. Uh, and uh, it's in North Africa. So we have here, uh, Philip runs into someone who's from North Africa. Uh, he is from uh, the Sudan. He is someone who would be the least likely person for Philip to talk to. And he's also uh, a high uh, administrative person. So he has an important job in a North African uh, a, a country, uh, and he is the farthest thing from a Jerusalem Jew. Um, he is African, 
uh, and this um, this uh, finance uh, minister. But then we read that he is uh, a eunuch. Now, uh, a, a eunuch could mean a number of different things here. Uh, he either was someone who was emasculated, uh, or sometimes in ancient literature, someone who was in control of the finances was called a eunuch, probably because eunuchs did that work. But my guess is that he was someone who was emasculated. He was uh, 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 someone who we would call a eunuch. This makes him even more different, even uh, someone uh, to be more, uh, for Philip to be in a more radical way to share the good news with. There's a nobody that I could think of that would be farther away from what would be a Jerusalem Jew would be than an African uh, eunuch high up in uh, holding a government position. Okay, But we read that he came to Jerusalem to worship, and now he's on his way back. So he evidently was a proselyte of some, of some sort, a Gentile proselyte. So it's very interesting. Uh, the, this place that was called Ethiopia, Cush, uh, way back in the Tanakh, right, uh, was really considered the remotest part of the earth, uh, you know, at that time. And so we can see here the beginning of the good news going to the remotest part of the earth, to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and now to the beginning of the remotest part of the earth. Now we'll read about Cornelius in chapter 10, but this Ethiopian eunuch really is someone who was truly, truly an outsider. First of all, uh, being a non-Jew uh, and being a eunuch, he would not have been allowed in the temple, perhaps uh, in the court uh, of, of the Gentiles, uh, but definitely an outsider. But notice what he's doing here. We read, he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Now, for him to be reading the prophet Isaiah is also very interesting. Uh, he had a scroll of some sort uh, of Isaiah. Now, in that day, uh, there were scrolls uh, that were of messianic promises, but they were very hard to come by. Now, perhaps he was, you know, he was a man of means. That, that could very well have been the finance, the person in control of the finances. And so maybe he had the means to obtain this scroll of Isaiah. And then the question is, why is he reading Isaiah? Well, he could have been reading Isaiah for several different reasons. Uh, and this is kind of interesting. Of course, we see that he's reading uh, a portion of Isaiah chapter 53. He's reading a portion of Isaiah 53. But also near Isaiah 53 is Isaiah 56, and it's sort of in the same, um, same area. And Isaiah 56, very interestingly, we read uh, at the beginning of the chapter. Now, that's not what he's reading. He's reading Isaiah 53, but it is interesting that nearby is Isaiah 56. And it says there, thus says the Lord, preserve justice and do righteousness. For my salvation is about to come, and my righteousness to be revealed. How blessed is the man who does this, and the son of man who takes hold of it, who keeps from profaning the Sabbath, and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. Neither let the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant, to them I will give in my house and within my walls a memorial and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name which shall not be cut off. Also to the foreigner who joins themselves to the Lord to minister to him and to love the name of the Lord and to uh, to be his servants, everyone who keeps from profaning uh, the Sabbaths and holds fast my covenants, even those I will bring to my holy mountain, 
and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar. For my, my house will be called a house of prayer for all the peoples. The Lord God who gathers and disperses uh, the dispersed of Israel declares, Yet others I will gather to them, to those already gathered. Uh, you know, uh, it's, uh, it's interesting that in the Gospel of John, uh, you know, in the 10th uh, uh, chapter, we read about Yeshua being the, uh, being the, uh, good, the good shepherd. Uh, and, uh, you know, when he talks about uh, his sheep, he says, talks about Israel being his uh, sheep, but then he also talks about other sheep uh, that belongs uh, uh, to him, right? He talks about uh, other sheep uh, that belong to him. And here we read about uh, foreigners, others who will be gathered to the Lord. And specifically, it says foreigners and it says eunuchs. So perhaps this Ethiopian eunuch was reading about this promise of the, of the ingathering of the other, the ingathering of foreigners. And in the context of Isaiah, it is the result of the work of the suffering servant in Isaiah chapter 53. In Isaiah 53, you have the ministry of the suffering servant. Uh, and then you have in Isaiah 54 and 55, really like an altar call, you might say, uh, for people to be gathered in. And then in Isaiah 56, you read about foreigners and eunuchs being gathered in. Wow, the outsider being gathered in, the other being gathered in. The good news of Isaiah 53 is really the good news of inclusion, not only of Israel, but of others. We read in Isaiah uh, chapter 49, one of the other servant songs. We read there uh, that uh, in verse 5, And now says the Lord, the Lord who formed me from the womb to be his servant, uh, to bring Jacob back to him in order that Israel might be gathered to him, for I'm honored in the sight of the Lord, and my God is my strength. He says, It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you a light of the nations, so that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. May I suggest even to an Ethiopian eunuch. You see? And so when he is reading Isaiah 53, He's reading about the one who brings this to pass, the one who's going to make this outsider an insider, the one who went to Jerusalem and certainly was not able to go in the temple, uh, you know, or or you know, into uh, anywhere other than perhaps the court of the Gentiles, right? Uh, he has the scroll of Isaiah, and he's reading about this one who uh, is the one who gives hope to the foreigners. Now, it is also possible that uh, Yeshua, the coming of Yeshua, and the resurrection and the pouring out of the Ruach was the talk of the town, uh, you know, and perhaps he heard about this and was and had heard about uh, Yeshua dying and being raised from the dead and wondering, who is this talking about? And so, uh, back in uh, Acts chapter 8, we read uh, here, He's, uh, he is, uh, uh, he's reading the prophet Isaiah, uh, and Philip says in verse 30, oh, I'm sorry, no, we're still back here in verse uh, uh, 28, and he's returning and sitting in his chariot and reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit of Philip, the spirit said to Philip, go up and join this chariot. Now notice it says that an angel of the Lord told him to go on this desert road. Now the spirit of the Lord tells him, to go in the chariot. This is telling us that God is directing Philip. God is directing Philip's steps. Philip may have had a plan, but God was directing his steps. And so know that God is directing your steps. And so if you feel the tug, the urge, that you know there's someone standing over there, I think I need to talk to them. 
or they look like they're in distress. I think I need to help them. Follow that urge because may I suggest that it's the leading of the Lord. And so the spirit said to Philip, go up and join the chariot. Now, maybe it was audible. Maybe it was a tug at his heart. We don't know. So when Philip had run up, it's interesting. It says Philip ran. You know, Philip ran to the chariot. When he had run up, he heard him reading Isaiah, the prophet, and said, do you understand what you're reading? Now, it was normal for people to read out loud in that day, not to read to themselves. It was just the norm to read out loud. Okay, reading out loud, very good thing to do. And so that's what the Ethiopian eunuch was doing, and Philip heard him. Okay, and I uh, heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. He says, do you understand what you're reading? I think it's also interesting that Philip takes the initiative. Philip doesn't say, do you have a second? Philip doesn't say, uh, could I, could I talk to you for a minute? Philip sees what he's doing. He just says, do you understand what you're reading? He takes initiative, you know, and, you know, when the Lord is leading you, you take initiative. And uh, so he takes the initiative. Don't be shy. You know, don't be embarrassed. Uh, but go with confidence, knowing that, you know, the Lord is uh, leading you. He is leading your steps. So Philip went with confidence. He was not going in, in arrogance. He wants to know, do you understand what you're reading? Uh, and he said, well, so what does the Ethiopian eunuch say? He said, well, how could I unless someone guides me? Now, guides me. Very interesting. Uh, it, it literally means like leading someone, unless someone leads me. Uh, it's a very interesting phrase. Not just tells me, but guides me in my understanding. You know, the Hebrew equivalent would probably be madrich or madricha. Uh, which is what a tour guide is called. It's a tour guide, but also uh, like an educated instructor. An instructor uh, is a madrich or madricha, uh, a guide to understanding. And so uh, Philip is serving as a guide to help the Ethiopian eunuch understand. So, you know, that what that tells me is that it wasn't about Philip just preaching at this man. But he was guiding him in understanding, like guiding him in wisdom, sharing wisdom in understanding the meaning of the text. And so he invited Philip to come and sit with him. Wow, don't you wish that anyone you approached with the good news of Yeshua was like the Ethiopian eunuch? Sort of like, you know, the fruit, the lower fruit hanging from the tree, right? Uh, and so now it says in verse 32, now the passage of scripture which he was reading was, it's Isaiah 53 verses 7 and 8. And it comes basically from the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. He was led as a sheep to slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation his judgment was taken away. Who shall relate his generation for his life? is removed from the earth. What's interesting here is that, kind of unusual for the book of Acts, the humiliating, unjust death of the Messiah is what's accentuated here. Not his resurrection, but his unjust death and humiliation uh, is what is accentuated. Uh, and it just goes to show you that by this time, very early on, by this time, the death of Yeshua was understood uh, to have a spiritual significance. It wasn't just that he died and he rose from the dead, but that his death was in accordance with Isaiah 53. Now, elsewhere in the Gospels, the miracles that Yeshua did was associated with Isaiah 53. And then uh, even in the preaching of Peter, the very end of Isaiah 53 is associated with the resurrection. But here we're reading about the atoning death uh, as he was led to slaughter as a lamb before its shearers is silent. Like as a, a lamb, he died as the lamb of God. And that is what is being brought out here. That is what Philip is reading uh, about the atoning death of the Messiah 
who conquers death uh, and takes away the uh, alienation and reconciles us to God via his death and his resurrection. But he takes our sin upon himself in his death, which is what reconciles us to God and reconciles us to others. Uh, the good news is a word of inclusion to one who is outside. The one who is far away has been brought near, right? The one who is not part of the covenant is now part of the covenant, like we read in the second chapter of Ephesians, okay? Uh, and, and so that's what he was reading. Now, notice it says, And the eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of who does the prophet say this, of himself or of someone else? And Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, he preached Yeshua to him. That tells us that this was the starting place, that from this place, Yeshua preached Yeshua. Uh, he didn't preach the Jerusalem congregation. He preached Yeshua, Messiah, Messiah and Lord, the King. That's what he preached. Uh, and talking about how Yeshua fulfilled Isaiah 53. Now, oftentimes, when you read about out of the mouth of someone in the Brit Hadashah scriptures, one verse of a passage, it's actually referring to the whole passage. For example, when Yeshua is dying, and he says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? May I suggest that he has all of Psalm 22 on his mind. And I would suggest that here, yes, uh, the, uh, the eunuch, the Ethiopian eunuch, is reading about the suffering servant, the suffering servant uh, here, who died for our sins and rose from the dead. And he wants to know, who is this talking about? And it is interesting what he says, what he asks Philip. He says, uh, is it of himself or someone else? Right? He wants to know, is this the prophet Isaiah talking about himself or someone else? Well, it's very interesting that over the course of history, Isaiah 53 has been variously interpreted. In our recent uh, MSI mini-course on rabbinic literature, what the rabbis know about the Messiah, we showed from the Talmud uh, that Isaiah 53, that the sufferings of the, of the suffering servant in Isaiah 53 was likened to the sufferings of the Messiah in the Talmud, in, in the Talmud, in the Mishnah and the Talmud, the most early foundational um, uh, writings of the rabbis. And uh, we read that over time, it was understood as both a suffering servant, but over time it came to be understood as Israel, as the people of Israel, mostly in reaction to the persecution of the church on the Jewish people. And so the meaning of the passage to Christians was a hallmark passage of the, the suffering servant, of Yeshua the Messiah. And so in reaction to that, uh, Isaiah 53 in Jewish history began to be interpreted as, as Israel, as the, the, as the Jewish people suffering on behalf of the sins of the nations. Others did say that it was Isaiah, the prophet himself. But a close reading of the text proves otherwise on both counts, that the text in Isaiah 53 is talking about a suffering individual, and it says that God was pleased to crush him. I don't think I would ever say that God was pleased to see the Jewish people suffer. Pleased. So that's what it says in Isaiah 53, in verse 10, right after uh, this passage that Philip is reading. Uh, I remember many, many years ago being in a heated discussion with uh, someone uh, about Isaiah 53, and they were sure that it was speaking about Jewish people and the Holocaust. That, that this was, this gave meaning to the Holocaust, Isaiah 53. And I said as kindly as I could, but it says the Lord was pleased to crush him. I cannot believe that I would read in the Bible that God was pleased. Well, let's just say the conversation ended abruptly. Sadly, very sadly, it ended abruptly. And, and, but uh, the reason when we say God was pleased with the suffering servant is because 
it gave atonement to the nations, and that and that the Messiah was raised from the dead. Uh, and uh, and so I would never say that about the persecutions of the Jewish people, or even about the prophet himself, right? Uh, and so it is the suffering servant who is the king, uh, and the suffering servant uh, who uh, is uh, persecuted. In fact, if you go back to Isaiah 52 in verse 13, which is the introduction to Isaiah 53, it says, Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. That is often in rabbinic literature interpreted as Moses, Abraham, or the Messiah. But then it says, Just as many were astonished at you, my people, so his appearance was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. Thus he will sprinkle many nations. That word sprinkle is a word that's used in the Torah about sprinkling the blood on the horns of the altar, you know, and on the mercy seat. And so it's talking that he will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths on account of him. For what had not been told them, they will see. And what they had not heard, they will understand. That this messianic king will suffer, but he will be the king not only of Israel, but of the nations of the world. Uh, and so this is what Philip is explaining to him. Philip is explaining uh, uh, to him that Yeshua is the Messiah, that he suffered as a lamb, like the Passover lamb, the substitutionary uh, atonement, right? And I'll just say, if you have your phone, you might want to turn it off right now. There you go. All right. <laughs> so uh, Philip is uh, saying, that uh, this is the Messiah, this is uh, Yeshua the Messiah, who died for the sins not only of Israel, but of the nations, uh, and rose from the dead. And this is good news for this North African eunuch, that he can be included uh, in this. And not just in the sense of uh, after he dies, he gets to go to heaven, but he is included socially into the community of Messiah followers. Uh, and what a great uh, lesson and what a great message uh, for you and I. Uh, you know, even though here at Beth Messiah, our primary outreach is to the Jewish community, no doubt. Uh, and I would say that uh, probably of any community, for us, it is the most difficult community to share the good news in because of all the misunderstanding the layers upon layers upon layers of misunderstanding, theological misunderstanding, social misunderstanding, historical misunderstanding, oh, just so much misunderstanding that there's a lot of layers to cut through to bring the message to our people. Uh, and uh, we need to always be prepared to do that uh, all the time. But we also need to be prepared to bring the message to anyone. We need to be prepared, whether we're at work, whether we're walking down the street, whether we are in the grocery store, uh, whether we're at a restaurant, uh, whether we're at the park, whoever it may be, God may be tugging at our heart to give a good word, a testimony to someone. And uh, I would encourage you uh, to think that way, to think that my God will do that, you know? So... The opportunities are always there. It's just we have to keep our eyes open and see them and recognize, do not be ashamed of the gospel. Do not be ashamed of the good news. It is the power of God for deliverance to the Jew, for, to Jewish people, but also to Ethiopian eunuchs, but also to anybody. And so let us be always prepared. Let us be sensitive to the leading of the Lord. Let us always be prepared to share the good news of the coming of the Messiah with people. Yes, be engaged in the good works uh, that glorify God in the name of Yeshua, but let it be coupled with a word of testimony. Interesting thing about this Ethiopian eunuch, he probably wasn't poor, and he wasn't a captive. He wasn't in shackles or anything like that. He was, he was a part of an entourage. And here, Philip brings him the good news. For the Ethiopian eunuch, his need was really 
being accepted in the community of those who um, embraced the God of Israel. After all, evidently, he was a proselyte. He came to the temple, uh, and uh, he needed something, and he knew that he needed something, and he was looking forward to the day when foreigners and eunuchs would be accepted into the house of prayer for all nations, right? Looking forward to that day and wondering if, perchance, this one, this suffering servant in Isaiah 53 had come. So he had this perceived need. And uh, he embraces the uh, Messiah. It says, and as they went along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, hey, look, water. What prevents me from being immersed? So in that time, clearly, the sign of a person embracing Yeshua was to be immersed. Now, this is where we can make begin to make a comparison with Simon Magus. He was also immersed, right? But it was for all the wrong reasons. It was for all the wrong reasons. For the Ethiopian eunuch, he knew that uh, he needed truly to embrace Yeshua and that Yeshua was his entree into grace. Yeshua was his entree into grace because of what Yeshua did, suffering for his sins, the sins of this African eunuch, this Sudanese eunuch, this Ethiopian eunuch. He knew that now uh, the enmity was removed and he was no longer alienated from God and he belonged to God. He belonged to the community of Messiah followers. And that's why what's added here, it says, and Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Yeshua the Messiah is the Son of God. This is added so that we can see that, yes, with all your heart, you've got to believe with all your heart. In other words, it's like the Shema, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Well, if we believe Moses and we believe Yeshua, we need to love Yeshua with all of our heart, with every ounce of our being, 24 hours a day, seven days uh, a, a week, uh, and every moment of every day, in whatever activity that we're engaged in. Be engaged in that activity and recognize that it's all part of loving, loving God, loving the Lord. If we are mowing the lawn, if we are at work, if we are enjoying an evening alone with our wife or our husband, whatever it may be, all of this is walking in the Lord uh, uh, in opportunities that he's given us. Uh, and so we see here that the uh, this Ethiopian eunuch believed with all his heart, unlike Simon Magus, right, who wants to buy it. Not the Ethiopian eunuch. He was not looking for the sizzle. The Ethiopian eunuch was looking for the steak. Uh, he wanted the real thing. He wanted the freedom. He wanted the unity. He wanted the deliverance. He wanted the reconciliation, right? And so we see here, and he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he immersed him. And so we see that Philip goes in the water with the eunuch, uh, and, and in fact, in fact, accentuating the fact that he's a eunuch here, uh, and he immerses him, right? And then it says, and when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, but went away, went on his way, rejoicing. Very interesting here. Remember last time we said that there is no one evidence, no one way that we know when someone uh, uh, believes. So we read in Acts chapter 2 about repenting and believing and about being immersed, and then you have the Holy Spirit. Uh, we see here, uh, or earlier in Samaria, that the people believed and they were immersed, and then they had to wait for uh, uh, Peter and John to come and lay hands on them to receive the Spirit. Here, the Ethiopian eunuch reasons from the scriptures. He believes and he's immersed and he rejoices. But we do not read that he is, uh, that, that uh, he receives the Holy Spirit. You don't read that he receives the Holy Spirit. It's interesting because earlier with the Samaritans, it says they received the Holy Spirit 
but it doesn't tell us how anyone knew that they received the Holy Spirit, just as they received the Holy Spirit. Here we don't even read that the Ethiopian eunuch receives the Holy Spirit, but he goes away rejoicing. He goes away rejoicing. May I suggest that this is the fruit, this is the evidence of his coming to faith in Messiah, rejoicing. Why is he rejoicing? He's rejoicing because he knows in whom he believes. He knows that he has assurance now in his salvation. He knows that he is accepted by the God of Israel. He knows uh, that his sins are indeed forgiven. Uh, and that causes him great rejoicing. We don't see a, a miracle. We don't see anything being healed in the Ethiopian eunuch. We don't see a demon being exorcised from the Ethiopian eunuch. We see someone who is just totally an outsider comes to believe. That, my friends, is the miracle. That is the miracle, the radical nature of, of someone coming to faith like this. That is indeed the miracle. And he goes away uh, rejoicing. You know, later on, we're going to read about Lydia. Lydia, right? She comes to believe. And all it says about her is that she begins to show hospitality. We'll talk about that. Uh, you know, a few months from now. Uh, but so we see here the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. And then, then it says, And Philip found himself uh, at Azotus, that is uh, Ashdod, Ashdod, also along the coast of the Mediterranean. And as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea, uh, which was a, a Roman stronghold. And so we're seeing the gospel going to the Gentiles now. That's really what we see, going to, beginning to go to the remotest part of the earth. So there's some great lessons for us to learn here. We need to be like Philip. We need to be sensitive to the leading of the Lord and always ready in season and out to share the good news with whomever. We should never write anybody off. We should never write anybody off, whether they're uh, of a different ethnicity, a different culture, uh, whether they're someone that we naturally, like uh, uh, in our culture, might not trust or we don't like, we should never write anyone off. The gospel is, yes, to the Jewish people first, but also to the nations, also to the Greeks, right? Uh, also to Ethiopian eunuchs. So what you have in the Ethiopian eunuch is, first of all, probably a wealthy person, Right? Uh, that's that would be somewhat of an outsider to the apostles and and Jerusalem Jews, uh, someone who was African, right? Someone who was African, certainly not someone uh, uh, that normally would uh, be coming to the temple, right? And not a eunuch. We know uh, from the Torah, eunuchs could not go near the place, right? Uh, and so a, a wealthy un, uh, African eunuch is the one uh, whom Philip brings the gospel to. And you have to hand it to Philip that he didn't question it. He didn't say, wait, wait, wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait a minute. Why am I going to the... It's one thing to go to Samaritans, but to an African eunuch? How could this be? No, he went to him because of the prompting of the Spirit, you see. And I, I cannot accentuate enough how new this was to do this kind of thing. So... We need to be like Philip and always be prepared to share the message of Yeshua in any way, shape, or form that we can, but to reason from the scriptures and to share the good news uh, of inclusion, that alienation from the God of Israel uh, can be taken away. You can be brought near. You can have deliverance. You can have deliverance uh, and know uh, the Lord. And the Ethiopian eunuch understands the message, and that's why he receives it with his whole heart. He's immersed and he rejoices. He gets the stake, not just the sizzle. The uh, Simon Magus goes away disappointed. The rich young ruler went away disappointed. Why? Because they could not give their whole heart to the Lord. But anybody who gives their whole heart to the Lord will never go away disappointed. Right? Uh, you know, the spirit uh, is, uh, uh, comes and dwells within us. And he is our hope. And we will never be disappointed, as the scriptures uh, uh, say. No matter what our station in life may be, we will never be disappointed when we are filled with the Ruach and we can go away uh, indeed uh, rejoicing. And so let us remember that uh, the good news is not just for the people that we want to share it with. It's for everyone.
And the good news is really the key to bringing the end to enmity, the end to hostilities of people groups and, uh, you know, and eth ethnic groups and people that generally just don't like each other, that the gospel, the good news, takes away the enmity. And that's where there is indeed peace. And uh, so you see in this passage, it's a Hellenistic Jew who himself had been somewhat of an outsider, brings the message to Samaritans uh, and also to this African uh, eunuch. Yes, indeed, the message is beginning in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. The Messiah of Israel is the hope of all mankind. Let's pray. Lord God, uh, we do uh, pray for this world. God, we pray, God, that the world would receive the good news like the Ethiopian eunuch and rejoice. Lord, uh, uh, I pray, God, that whatever uh, uh, the color of our skin might be, whatever our ethnicity is, whatever part of the world we're from, or, uh, you know, whatever uh, physical uh, issue we may have, like that of the eunuch, may we realize the gospel is for everyone. Lord, no matter what, uh, Lord, and uh, uh, and so God, may those who are outsiders be brought near. May what we read about in Isaiah chapter fifty-six begin to come to pass. Foreigners would believe, people with abnormalities uh, would uh, be welcomed, Lord. And I pray God that we at Beth Messiah would be that kind of people—a Jewish place, but welcoming the other, uh, welcoming the other in. Uh, Lord, to be part of us, not uh, not to become Jewish and not to stay uh, as a, a foreigner, but to be part of a commonwealth, one might say, of Israel, under the kingship of the king of Israel, but yet still be able to have indiv their individuality and ethnic identity as part of our testimony of being people of different tribes, tongues, and nations. Lord uh, God, may we demonstrate to this world uh, that real peace among people groups is possible in Messiah Yeshua. And we thank you and we pray uh, in Yeshua's name. Amen.